0: we well- well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you on this Lord's Day. And I want to say thank you for worshiping the Lord through song. And now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles in the New Testament to the book of Acts, chapter 4. The book of Acts, chapter 4. And as we're preparing to hear the Word here in the worship center, let me offer a warm, warm welcome to everyone. In our contemporary service, as well as those of you who are joining on TV and online, I'm really glad you're part of this service today. Now, if you look on your outline, you'll see the title of today's message. Do you see it there? It's called A Courageous Witness, A Courageous Witness, and it's the second message in this series that works our way through the biblical book of Acts, and it's all around the notion of our witness. In fact, do you see last week from Acts chapter 2, we talked about the first witness. And then over the coming weeks, we'll talk about a spirit-led witness, a reluctant witness, a barrier-breaking witness, a church-oriented witness, a cross-centered witness. And what I'm praying is, as over the course of these weeks, that God's going to stir my heart stir your heart. His Holy Spirit's going to empower us and challenge us. To become more active witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know God will be honored in that and some will come to faith in Christ as a result of our witness in the coming days. Now all of this grows out of our read through the book of Acts and if you're not yet a part of the chapter a day journey I want to invite you to pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address and join with hundreds of us, as we're reading and applying God's Word a chapter a day. Now, the book of Acts has a theme verse. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I want us to read it again this week. It's on your outline. I think they'll put it on the screen as well. So are you ready? It begins with, but you will receive power. Let's read it together. Here we go but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea And Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, if you have your pen in in your hand, circle one word in that one verse. Circle the word witnesses. Because if the Book of Acts follows the outline of this one uh, verse, chapter uh, one, verse eight, then the key word in that one verse. Is witness, witnesses. Now, as I said last week, I, I want to be just right up front about the goal of this series. It's twofold. One is that every follower of Christ at Ingleside will become a better equipped and more active verbal witness for Jesus. That's goal number one. Some of us will begin to share the gospel for the first time. Others of us who've shared the gospel in the past will begin to share the gospel more frequently, that's the first goal. And then the second is this. It's similar but not quite the same, and that is everyone who calls Ingleside home will invite someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus to our Easter weekend outreach on April 8th and 9th. We'll have a Saturday night service at 6 and then our four services on Sunday morning as we usually do on Easter weekend, and I hope you'll invite someone to come and be a part of that. Now, last week as we were finishing up, I said, I want to give you over the course of this series at least one or two or three or more tools to help. In our witness. So one of those was an app that I encouraged you to get on your phone. If you did, would you pull your phone out and look at that app with me? It's called the Life on Mission App. If you weren't here last week, you can go to the App Store even while you're listening right now and download it. The Life on Mission app. And you'll know you have the right one if you see a diagram like this one. They're gonna put it on the screen, right? now. It's called the three circles. And so I want to just walk you quickly through this tool today, because as you click through the app, it will take you right through sharing the gospel. It's almost as if you were sitting with a friend over coffee and you you said, "Let let me just show you what the Bible says, about who God is and how he wants to relate to us. I think I can illustrate that if I just draw three circles on a napkin here. So, let's just look at it. You click uh, the first arrow on the app and what do you see? Go to the next slide if you would. You see, first of all, the first circle is God's design. All around us, we see beauty, and purpose and evidence of God's design in the world. And if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, what do you learn? You learn that God originally planned a world that worked perfectly, where everything and everyone fit together in perfect harmony. God has a purpose for us, and that purpose is that we worship him and that we walk with him, that we know him purposefully. Do you see it? The Bible says God saw all that he had made, it was very good, and the heavens all around us declare God's glory. Well, then you click again and you say, but you know something happened, and that something happened is sin. Sin disrupted God's design. And in fact, this is what the Bible says. Look at it. The next slide, if you would. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So now watch this. All of us can relate to the next circle. It's brokenness. And don't we all feel that? There's brokenness in our lives, and the brokenness leads us to try to find something to fix it. And those squiggly lines are the ways that we try to fix the brokenness in our lives. Here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that in our brokenness, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we follow those lies trying to fix the brokenness. Well, it's at that point that we realize we need some good news. And that good news is the gospel, that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, to be raised again so that we can have forgiveness and life in him. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. You'll see it on the screen. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And when Jesus died on the cross, he erased the certificate of debt that we owed to God. So how do we respond? You click the app again. We respond in repentance and faith. Here's what the Bible says. Look at the next verse. It says, repent and believe in the good news. You're saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works, so no one can boast. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So you see, what do we need to do next? Here's what the next slide says, and it's just right that when God restores our relationship with him, he he puts us on a path back to his design, his purpose, his will for our life. So you click the app again, and it tells you a couple of more Bible verses that tell us it's God who is working in us. He's the one who gives us salvation. And then, last of all, on the app, click it again. It says, here's what you should do now. Here's the kind of prayer that you ought to pray. Now, listen, church family. I know that this may not be the right tool for every time you have a chance to share the gospel. But if you always have your phone with you, and I suspect you do, guess what you will have you will have a ready way to just click through a simple presentation of the gospel. So it's not going to surprise me if this week or next week or the following week you're talking with a friend or a neighbor or a family member and God gives the open door and you ask if you may share and then you just click through it on your phone, and God's going to use your witness to help someone come to faith in Christ. And I'm just praying that's going to occur all throughout our church family. Now, as we engage this process of being witnesses, it's important that we see that through a biblical lens. So last week, we looked at the first witness in Acts 2, and today, I want us to dig a little deeper in Acts chapter 4. Uh, We're going to see a handful of principles here that are really important. So, let's look at it. In Acts 3, the apostles had done a mighty miracle of helping a man who had been lame for a long time regain his health. And Acts chapter 4 verse 1 says this, It says, and as they were speaking to the people, as the apostles were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So the point is, not everybody was happy about the first witness of the apostles. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Even though not everybody was happy, the gospel was powerful to save. Look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So now write it in, number one, the first principle here, is we should not be surprised today. We should not be surprised if there is opposition or resistance to our witness. It's been that way from the very beginning, and I want you to think with me about why that might be the case. In the book of Acts, we learn that those first religious authorities, um, they were trying to suppress the witness because they were jealous. They were jealous of the number of people who were beginning to follow Christ and no longer followed their way of relating to God. So jealousy was one of the things that fed into it. Another reason sometimes there is opposition to our witness is because of the moral conviction that comes along with it. In other words, somebody says, "You know, if what you're saying is true, then what I'm doing is wrong, and if and I really don't want to change what I'm doing, so I'm going to push back against your witness." Do you see? The Christian gospel pushes against immorality, and so those who want to choose immorality oftentimes push back against the gospel. Can I take you a level even deeper? You know what else is really going on here? It's an unseen spiritual battle between the very real enemy that the Bible defines as Satan who attempts to keep us enslaved in our sin. And guess what he knows? He knows that if the gospel is shared in Holy Spirit power, some are going to hear, repent, believe, and find new life in Christ. And so Satan doesn't want that to happen. So there's always opposition. There's always pushback. It will always be difficult for you and me to actually open our mouths and share the gospel because there's a spiritual battle involved. And when you feel that, you and I ought not be surprised. Are you with me so far this morning? If you've ever felt that inside, you you know the Bible says you ought to be a witness, but you feel the pushback. Well, just say, i ought not be surprised by that. There's a spiritual battle going on here. Well, look what happens next. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? In other words, they said to the apostles, how would you heal this guy? What power? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then we want it to be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man is standing before you well. In other words, they said, this power is not ours. The power is Jesus. He's the one who brings healing and wholeness. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then the apostles articulate a really important principle, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So right in principle number two, here it is. Our witness should be clear that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. This is another reason why there's pushback, because our world much prefers a pluralistic framework, a relativistic framework, where there are many ways and many roads. And so when we say, no, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, well, that sort of pushes against the tide. And that's why there's some resistance. But that's what the Bible teaches. Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness Now, I think I've put that word boldness in bold. Have I not on your outlet? I did that on purpose. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Now, this is not to suggest that the first apostles were somehow um, illiterate or rubes or... Uh, unsophisticated people. No, it just means they had not gone through the formal theological training of the other religious leaders. But it says when they recognized their boldness, they recognized they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. In other words, they said, The guy's been healed. We can't deny that. So what are we going to say? Verse 17, But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now just think about it. That could have been the end of the Christian movement because the powers that be said, speak no more. And if those first followers of Christ had done what they were told, then it would have been the end. But look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let, their, let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So here's the principle for us even when there is pressure to be silent, even when there is pressure to be silent, like those first followers of Christ, our witness, our verbal testimony for Christ must not stop. Well, let's look at the rest of the story quickly. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said. In other words, they went back and said, They told us to quit talking about Jesus. What do you think we should do? And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, and who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. And then they quoted Psalm two. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers that were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. In other words, they say, you know what we're seeing? We're seeing in the action of these leaders telling us to be quiet exactly what the scripture foretold in Psalm 2. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And then just notice this confidence, verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, they acknowledged the human evil. God is not the author of that, but God is sovereign over human wickedness. And so look at their prayer, verse 29. And now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. I love this. Let let this sink in. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And watch this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. so, So, what do you think goes in blank number four? We should ask God to give us what? What do you think? The answer is boldness boldness and our witness. Now, to make sure we're on the same page, look at the top of page four of your outline. I want to give you just a snippet of my study this week. I dug into that word boldness. It's the Greek New Testament word, parousia. And the enhanced strong lexicon puts it this way. It says, freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech, to be Uh, Speak openly, frankly, without concealment, without ambiguity or circumlocution, without the use of figures and comparisons. In other words, to speak boldly is to speak plainly and with clarity. Studied ambiguity is not the way of Christian witness. Look at definition two. To speak boldly is to have free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage. You know what I did? I circled those two words because that's what I'm asking God to give you and me. Cheerful courage, boldness, and assurance as we are witnesses for Christ. Wouldn't that just be the coolest thing if as a result of his Holy Spirit's work in us, you and I just had increasing measures of cheerful courage. Now, it's possible to have courage and not be cheerful. It's it's possible to have courage and be obnoxious, is it not? It's possible to have courage and be abrasive or to have courage and to be irritable or to have courage and to be belligerent. And none of those things honor God in our witness. But you know what? When we are courageous and at the same time have this underlying joyfulness and cheerfulness, Because of what God has done for us in Christ. Oh man, that's powerful. That's powerful. And that's the kind of boldness God wants you and me to have. Now, I almost stopped the message there, but I had to go on. There are two more things we need to say quickly, and that is number five a courageous witness will be costly. It'll be costly. Let me show you the end of chapter 5. The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So one of the things that the first followers of Christ paid with was their freedom. They were arrested and put in prison. Look a little further in that chapter, verse 40. And... When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. You know, I've never had to suffer that so far. No one has actually uh, beat me because of my witness for Christ yet, but all around the world today, that kind of things happens. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, man, I just love this. Don't you feel the courage pulsating through this? They did not cease. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now, I don't want you to miss one other thing that you may not see. I want you to see that the Greek New Testament word for witness the noun is martus the verb is martureo from which we also get our English word martyr and what is a martyr? A martyr is a person who is killed because of their religious or other beliefs. So a little bit later in Acts 6 and 7 we see the first Christian martyr. What was his name? Do you remember? Have you read it? What was his name? Stephen. Stephen. One of the seven, one of the first deacons who served widows. And he was actually put to death because of his witness. And then in Acts 12, the second name martyr in the book of Acts. Well, he was the brother of John. His name was James. The second name martyr in the book of Acts was James. And so here's what I want to say. I don't think we do our children, our grandchildren, or those to whom we witness any favor if we say, you know, following Jesus will not cost you because it has always cost those who followed him. And yet those who had courage, those who had the courage to follow him, well, they made all the difference. And that leads to the last truth today, and that is a courageous and costly witness will inspire others. It will inspire others, and it will be rewarded by God. The Bible says, rejoice and be glad for your reward. Jesus said, your reward is great in heaven. Um, Perhaps you've heard a version of the definition of courage that was articulated by one of our former presidents. He was called FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he said, courage is not the absence of fear but it is the assessment that something is more important than the fear. I love that. And for those of us who follow Christ, guess what's more important than the fear we might have of speaking up for Jesus? The something more important is the glory of God's name through our obedience to the command of Christ to be his witnesses. That's what's more important. How many of you all have ever heard the little uh, phrase that was taught to a generation of children a generation or two ago uh, when children were said, it was better for them to be seen and not heard. Have you ever heard that? And so it was said that silence is golden. Have you ever heard that? I mean, silence is valuable. You ought to be seen and not heard if you're a child. I was taught that growing up. Silence is golden. But for Christians, guess what I've come to believe? Silence is sometimes yellow, <laughs> And today, I'm praying, church family, that some of you are just going to gain the courage of your convictions. Um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Beverly and I were up in Chicago helping our youngest daughter move from one apartment to another. Her roommate's getting married, and so... Molly had to find a new place to live, need to move from one apartment to another. And so if you're the parent of young adult children, that's what you do, is it not? You go help them move. And so we did. We went to Chicago and helped her move from one apartment to the other. And late yesterday afternoon, we left downtown Chicago and hopped in an Uber for the ride out to O'Hare to fly back home to be here today. And uh, I'd already looked at the map. I knew about how long it was going to take to get there. It was going to take 45 minutes or so. The interstate was clogged up pretty well. So Beverly and I kissed Molly goodbye and hopped in the Uber and we head out. And we were really not out of downtown. Before I just felt and sensed in my spirit, the Lord said to me, So, you're going to be in this car for 45 minutes with this guy. (laughs) How about you speaking up? I said, okay. So, I sort of leaned forward and I said, Sir, how long have you lived in Chicagoland? He said, 17 years with a very thick accent. And I said, oh, that's great. Do you love it? Oh, I love it. I said, well, where did you live before 17 years ago? And he said, well, I'm from Jordan. I said, like the country in the Middle East? He said, yeah, like the country in the Middle East. And i read a little bit about Jordan. So we talked a little bit about the political situation there. And he told me his whole story about his desire to come to the States and how hard it was to get here. And once he got here about getting married and gaining his US citizenship, and then he said something that really struck me. He said, You know, one of the reasons I came here is because of the freedom that you have here. And he said, I think some of you Americans don't value the freedoms you have here. And I thought, this guy's on to something here. I said, Well, what about your family? You got any kids? He said, Yep, two f- twins, five-year-olds. I said, boy or girl, he's a boy, two five-year-old boys. And I said, Well. My wife and I have two girls, 31, 29, and we've been here helping one of them move. So we're just having friendly conversation. And then I said, well, you know, one of the freedoms I really like here is freedom of religion. Uh, You get to believe whatever you want to believe. So what is your religion? I thought it was a pretty good transition, don't you? I, I, th- I thought it was a pretty good transition. And uh, he said, I'm Muslim. And I said, oh, okay. Well, my wife and I here, we're Christians. We, we follow Christ. Oh yes, I, I know about Christians, he said. And, and I said, well now, have you always been Muslim or did you choose to be a, a Muslim? As an adult, he said, oh, no, you're, you're born into your religion. I was born a Muslim. You were born a Christian. Just whatever you're born into, that's what you are. And I said, well, I, I'm not sure about that. I said, you know, just like you were born in Jordan, but you chose to come here, I said, you know, I think all of us have to choose about our relationship with God, and particularly about how we respond to Jesus. There was sort of silence. And I said, now I understand that Muslims think highly of Jesus. They think he is a prophet. Oh yes, we we do think he's a prophet. And I said, well, you know, we think he's a prophet, but we think he's more than that. We think he's the son of God. And he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And again, there was a bit of silence. And I said, have you ever read what the Bible says about Jesus and following him? And he said, well, no, not really. And I said, well, you know, I know about this thing called a chapter a day. I actually told him I was a pastor. and <laughs> I said, would you be interested in that? He said, I sure would. And so right there in the middle of jammed up traffic on the way out to O'Hare, Beverly and I got him the chapter a day info. We exchanged cell phone numbers. I gave him my card. When we got out of the... Car at the airport after a 45 minute ride he shook my hand and said I'll be in touch now, I don't know I don't know what the Lord will do with that but I know what I did I just spoke up for Jesus and you can too So guess what? I'm going to pray this week. You're going to have opportunity to. And when your time comes, you're just going to speak up. And when you do, you trust the Lord with the results, but you be real clear and you be cheerful, have a cheerful courage as you share the gospel. And y'all, it's going to be the coolest thing. I just can't tell you, it's going to be the coolest thing to see and hear all that God does through us as a whole church full of us. Become cheerfully, confident, verbal witnesses for the Lord Jesus. Man, it's going to be good. So I want you to tell me about it. When, When you have a witness, I've told you about mine this week, you tell me about yours and we'll celebrate them together, okay? You with me today? Can you say amen to that? Okay. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, and after that, we'll sing together. Let's pray. Father, we, we just wanna be like those first followers. We wanna have a cheerful confidence and courage in sharing the gospel. And I pray you'd enable us to do that, and I pray that as a result, those whom you you are calling, those whom you have chosen, those whom you have appointed, will repent and believe and follow Jesus. So fill us up with the joy of the Holy Spirit and with the courage of the Holy Spirit and make us your witnesses for our good and for your glory. We offer this prayer to you in Jesus' name, amen.